most popular movie in history. It created a fascination with space, spawned an entire category of merchandise, and many say was the inspiration for the video game phenomenon. The remarkable popularity of the Star Wars theme will continue to expand with the re-release of the first two movies and the release of the third movie, Revenge of the Jedi, scheduled for 1983. For 1982, we are introducing the first of an ongoing line of Star Wars game cartridges. Our cartridge, based on the Empire Strikes Back, recreates the thrill battle scene on the ice planet Hoth. Parker Brothers, quality, play value, excitement, advertising muscle, Frogger, Star Wars, the age of video. Parker Brothers, the best is yet to come. And 40 of Blast Points this is Jason. And this is Gabe. And this week we are talking about the fascinating first 10 years of Star Wars video games, which I'm excited because, like, I don't think we've done a Star Wars video game episode since Masters of Terrace Kasi <laughs> two years ago or something. Well, and that was. Was that only our second video game episode? I think so. I think so, yeah. And Masters of Tereskasi was episode 126. That's how long ago it was. That's crazy. But video games are back, finally. They're back in our minds. Maybe it was Squadrons being out. Maybe it was just that time of year. It's getting close to Christmas time. It's video game time. Yeah, because we've both been playing Squadrons, and Squadrons is... Like we're going to be talking about coming up, it's kind of the basic elements of Star Wars video games. They always come back to TIE Fighters and X-Wings shooting at each other. That's just a hallmark of Star Wars video games. And yeah, it's a, it's a long, crazy story on how Star Wars video games came to be. I don't know. This is an episode, I think we say that with a lot of them though, but this is an episode we've been meaning to do for a very long time. 
Yeah, and I mean, we're restricting it to the first 10 years because Star Wars video games, it's almost like toy commercials or comics or anything. There's so much Star Wars video games over the years that we couldn't do them justice if we tried to do it'd be like the rogue 100 if we tried to get through every video game in one episode we just have to go rapid fire through all of them but yeah, yeah. so this is just yeah it's 77 to 87 and uh, there's a lot of gold in there and speaking of gold <laughs> it's snoketoberfest <laughs> of Snoketoberfest 2020. Maybe the best thing that's happened in 2020, Snoketoberfest year three, week three. It's starting to get cold outside. The leaves are turning. Before we know it, there's going to be snow. But before we get the snow, we got to celebrate the Snoke. And we got to heat up our bodies with a never stop Snoke party so we can get ready for winter. When you were saying, like, leaves falling, it made me think of, like, Snoke's weird clone old man's skin. And if, like, it ever, like, flaked and, like, would just, like, fall off. And also, like, hey, all the clones of the clone troopers were based on Django. Like, that was the original template of the clone. Was there ever an original template of Snoke? Who was that? Will we ever know this? Was he just some random old dude? <laughs> it's the stand-in old guy was the original Snoke. Just somebody's grandpa. Just get just get in the clone thing. Quiet. The engineers from Prometheus. They're they're the original Snoke. They're all related. They're all cousins. So, Snoketoberfest. I wonder what the Snoke line of the week this week could be. Hmm. Snoke was kind of jealous of Luke. Do you think he actually kind of wanted an island of his own? Yeah, I think he was really, he didn't care about Luke. He just wanted to find the island because he wanted to hang out there. Just wanted to chill. I mean, Snoke, he liked luxury. He had gold elf slippers. He had a gold robe. There's nothing underneath that robe. In, in the deleted scenes, the caretakers threw a party. Snoke just wants to party. He heard that Luke was going to the best parties in the galaxy, and he just wanted to be a part of it. He just wanted an invite. He just wanted to be included. It's not much to ask for. He's an old, weird clone man. Just let him come to the party. Put a Hawaiian shirt on him. That's it. Some cargo shorts and some flip-flops. He's having a good time. You know, give, yeah. give him a margarita yeah. or something. Just just relax, Snoke. Just chill out. Stop yelling. He's just <laughs> sad because no one invited him. He just wants a party. Snoketoberfest 2020. You are about to encounter games of a different kind. Frogger! You have just 30 seconds to hop across the highway, avoid the snakes, skip across the river, pass the alligators, and jump into home base. Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back. Get the force and fight the might of the Imperial Walkers. Frogger and Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back. Video games from Parker Brothers, the ones to beat. 
So, Star Wars, we all know, comes out May 1977. Comes out in originally in May, just a small little group of theaters, and kind of over that summer of 77, grows and grows and grows in popularity. Word of mouth gets out of control about this Star Wars movie. And as it opens up in more and more cities across America and then the world, it becomes the phenomenon, and it never stops to this day. Now, what's really crazy is that same summer, 1977, June, actually, 1977, was also the release of the Atari 2600. And then just a couple months later, in September 1977, was the release of the Apple II computer, which is just so wild to think about that all throughout kind of that summer and then early fall, September, whatever, of that year, those three things all came out just within months of each other. Star Wars and video games kind of were born around the same time and similar to with all the home video releases everyone has star wars fever and wants to experience star wars at home and one of the ways to do that eventually becomes star wars video games it's fortunate that they were kind of born at the same time because if if there weren't video games to experience star wars at home what would the world be like (laughs) would we still be talking about this movie 40 years later if you couldn't play video games based on it almost you know relatively immediately after the movie came out so much of the aesthetic and the art of those early early video games when you go back and you look at even the box art or though if There were so many spaceship games, the designs of the spaceships. Everything is kind of Star Wars-y in so much of that that era. It was just like suddenly this movie came out, was, you know, this cultural explosion. At the same time as this other cultural explosion of home video games. And they just kind of morphed this trend that kind of came out of nowhere. Well, a neat thing to think about, too, is that the graphic design in the Star Wars movies, like when the ties are attacking the Falcon and you're looking at, you know, their little targeting computer graphics, like because the aesthetic choices in Star Wars were to do very abstract kind of targeting interfaces, it almost makes the limited graphics that came out in these early games even feel like they're more (laughs) authentic because it looks just like the screens in Star Wars, like it's almost like it feels like the real world is Star Wars because I'm playing this very primitive looking computer thing that looks just like the very primitive looking computer things in a Star Wars movie. When they escape from the Death Star, the the whole the gun turret scene in the Falcon, that's like a big video game scene right there. So many games kind of you feel like we're directly influenced from just that one moment in star wars again of just shooting tie fighters but i I remember being a little kid and almost like taking for granted though like every hero on every like box for berserk for the 2600 or something kind of looked like luke skywalker everyone's clothes kind of looked star wars ish robots all looked kind of star warsy and now you look back and you're like oh yeah that's 
was obviously influenced by Star Wars, which of course was very popular at the time, but it was just kind of just the way it was back then. We just assumed that's the way the world was, and now we're trying to keep it that way. <laughs> if there's people talking to robots in their spaceships, that's pretty much all I need in my life. All these years later, just keep it going. It's the way the world works. If they have shaggy hair and sideburns, bonus points. Uh, scruffy looking people and cyborgs. and When we all know how you know Star Wars created a merchandising boom that, of course, is still felt today. But as we, as we keep going here in this episode and we're going to go over, there was a need. Like, not even a need. Like, a, an obsession with there had to be Star Wars games. People needed to walk out of that theater and I need to blow up TIE Fighters. I've got to play that world. Which before that, before Star Wars came along, I mean, it's it's hard to describe because there weren't really home video games before that. It's, you know, would there have been like the need to be a James Bond in the, in the 60s and 70s? Would, you, would there have been a $6 million man video game that people obsessed over i don't know the timing is just incredible but weirdly yeah it wasn't until what five years after the first movie came out that there was an official star wars video game which is wild to think about too yeah that it took him that long but of course it didn't stop the fans and the one of the very first ones out of the gate was uh, a fan-made creation by hardware developer Objective Design, they started selling a game titled Star Wars Simulation, which had X-Wings, TIE Fighters, and leading to an attack on the Death Star. And th- this one's kind of a mystery. There's not a whole lot of information out there on it. There's not like a YouTube video or anything, but I guess that kind of makes sense that it was like an, a bootleg. Yeah, according to Star Wars Insider 135, they have just a couple lines about uh, objective designs game and it says to play intrepid gamers built their own joysticks and needed an altair or similar computer system yeah i don't even remember what that is i have to look that up so the next one also unofficial put out uh by apple computers was just titled star wars and that was for their the tape drive right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so for people who are younger and might not know this, but you used to install games from cassette tapes and it's just as exciting as it sounds. And it would take forever (laughs) to load the game off a cassette tape. Did you ever play any games on cassette tape? Yes. So when, when I was in elementary school, we, there was a computer in the classroom and there was like a little cassette tape holder thing next to the computer. And you had to get a teacher to insert the tape into the tape drive. And I was like, this is some sort of magic. You could play like lemonade stand off a cassette tape. Did you ever, did your dad ever bring one home? Cause my mom was a teacher. Like your dad is a teacher. And my mom would bring the computer from school home in the summer. I don't know if no one else wanted it, but she would always bring it home in the summer. He did. And it was like later because I spent an entire summer playing maniac mansion. Okay, <laughs> on the PC, and I was like, "This is the next level." Yeah, the cassette stuff was, yeah, spending thirty minutes to install Lemonade Stand or Oregon Trail or something is just it's magic. 
<laughs> so this this tape drive game on the Apple II, though, it did feature, I think, the first time that John Williams' Star Wars theme was ever recreated in that video game style. Which I imagine putting all that on a tape drive, that must have been a lot of work. Someone was really dedicated into making their homemade, unofficial Star Wars game. But again, it just proves people's thirst for we must play Star Wars games at home. I have to blow up TIE Fighters. Well, and it's the the obsession, too, of technology and Star Wars and people who like technology like Star Wars and Star Wars lends itself to new technology. So if there's a way to use new technology to make something Star Wars, people are going to do it. It's one of the greatest gifts Star Wars has given us is that more than any other sci-fi franchise, Star Wars always inspires creativity. You know, you hear about all the time how many people were inspired to go home after they saw a Star Wars movie and start drawing Jedis or ships or Rancors or Wampas or Reeks or something. It's so overflowing with creativity that it's hard not to be inspired in whatever creative aspect you're involved in. So yeah, if you know how to write code to make a game where you shoot TIE fighters, after you walk out of the theater, you're like, I've got to go home and do it now. Well, and you know, like I was saying earlier too, it's like all the design aesthetic of Star Wars, the simple shapes lend themselves so well to early video games too, because you can make a TIE fighter out of like, just a few pixels and the silhouette is so instantly recognizable that you feel like, Oh my gosh, this is star Wars. Look, that looks like a tie fighter. And it's literally like two lines in a, in a lump in the middle. And same with the X wing. It's like, you literally have an X moving around on a screen and you're like, Oh, is that an X wing? Holy cow. This is amazing. So it's part of the, the brilliance of just the, the design of everything of that. It was these simple, easy to recognize shapes. Same with a star destroyer. You put a triangle on screen flying around and it's like, Oh my God, that's a star destroyer. Like they just, it lends itself so well to the, to the limited technology. It still feels like star Wars. So finally in 1979, Kenner made the electronic battle command, which was advertised as the most exciting computer game you will ever play. When it has one of our favorite old Star Wars commercials, too, with the the dad that puts some hallucinogens in his son's juice box or something, and he turns into a stormtrooper by the end, right? Isn't that that one? Yes. Oh, yeah. Kenner proudly presents Star Wars Electronic Battle Command, the computerized space battle game. Enemy scan on. I see you. Battle stations. Red alert. Star Wars Electronic Battle Command has computer scanners, force units, invisible shields. Fire! Three levels of play, basic, intermediate, and advanced. Ah, my TIE Fighter's hit. Hey, Dad, let's play the basic game. You always get carried away. Star Wars Electronic Battle Command from Kenner. So the basics of Electronic Battle Command, where it was like, like a little tabletop game that had like this little LED grid on it. Where it had like coordinates. It's basically like electronic battleship where you're just like 
trying to shoot down TIE fighters, but like just entering coordinates. <laughs> but it's like Battleship if you only had, what is it, like nine or 12 of the squares instead of the whole big thing. And you have to share the same side. So you have to do your turn and then and then give it to the other person to do their turn. And they made up a whole story for it, too. you got to, like, scan the grid looking for the Empire. you got to avoid black holes. And you've got to avoid something called Magna, the Force-Giving Star. Which I'm waiting for that to come back. Maybe in the Bad Batch we'll get Magna, the Force-Giving Star. Which, did you ever have, did you ever play Electronic Battle Command? Because I don't think I even knew it existed until maybe like 10 years ago or something. Or maybe like when I saw the commercials. Like, what? Yeah, it's one of those things I've only seen in the commercials. I don't think I ever saw it in the store. I don't think I've ever known anyone that had it. I don't even know if I've seen one in person ever in my entire life. Have you? Did we ever see one at a celebration or anything, even at a, at a booth? I don't feel like I've ever seen it. No, because I feel like we'd freak out. If we saw it, we'd be like, how... <laughs> Right, well, how much is that? How much to just hold it in my hand for a couple minutes? Can I sniff it? Yeah. We just want to touch it. But I feel like what if, I, if I had this when I was a little kid, I would have flipped out. But it was probably really expensive. I don't know. Also, 1979, game publisher Exidy and these guys David Rolf and Ted Micken were working on their own, guess what, X-Wing shooting TIE Fighters game. And they were hoping that they would get approval from Lucasfilm for this to, to be like the first like Star Wars arcade game. They didn't get approved. They changed the name to Starfire. But it's pretty crazy. Like there's videos of it on YouTube of Starfire in the arcade. It's pretty wild that they didn't get approval from Lucasfilm, but they were just like, well, Forget it, we're not going to change a dang thing, except for we're going to take wars out of the title and put fire in there. But, like, the font, like the Star Wars logo, is still exactly the same, but just says Starfire. Yeah, Lucasfilm in 1979 was a little different than Lucasfilm in the later years as far as going after copyright, I guess. But I'm sure it worked in their favor. Anyone playing Starfire knew they were playing a Star Wars game, and it just got people even more pumped up to go watch star Wars again in the theater is not even like the ships in it is like, it's kind of like a tie fighter or it looks kind of like an X-wing. It's like a tie fighter. <laughs> yeah. An interesting thing with Starfire, though, it was the very first game to have a sit down cockpit style cabinet, which later became super famous with the official star Wars game put out by Atari a couple years later. And it was the first ever game to be able to let a player save their high score by putting in their initials. And there was an Easter egg in the game. If you put in the initials TZM, you got a message that said, Hi, Ted. May the Force be with you. <laughs> but it, it's not a Star Wars game. <laughs> it's not. Don't even. I don't know why anyone would think it's a Star Wars game. No. Possibly its biggest claim to fame, though, Starfire, was its role in the classic Disney 1980 film, Midnight Madness. Where Michael J. Fox, taking part in the great all-nighter scavenger hunt, 
is the Starfighter champion, and to get the message from Leon, the game master, you gotta get a high score in Starfire. But it's pretty crazy that this blatant Star Wars video game ripoff was featured on the big screen in a Disney movie in 1980. Those are, that's, those are your first steps. Maybe that's why Midnight Madness is just about the only Disney movie that isn't on Disney Plus now. It makes no sense why Midnight Madness is not on Disney Plus. I think they're saving it. It's 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 too much of a classic. They got to save it to get all those Midnight Madness fans who are just waiting to subscribe. Maybe they'll put it out on like New Year's Eve or something, like how they're putting Stole out on Christmas Day. Or they should put it on Disney Plus and it you can only watch it at midnight. <laughs> It's like you stay up till about 1.30 watching Midnight Madness. You can go on the great all-nighter. I think it would take off. I think you'd start seeing people cosplaying as Leon. If we're not going to get Star Wars Celebration <laughs> next year, maybe we can get Midnight Madness abrasion. We can all, we can all be Leon. We all already are a little bit Leon. <laughs> All right, so anyways, another thing going on in 1979, George Lucas creates the Lucasfilm Computer Division, which contains a department for computer games, also known as the Games Group. It also contains another department just for graphics, which later goes on to become something called Pixar that I've never, I don't, I don't know anything about that. Yeah, they, they never amounted to much. So in, in Rinsler's Making of Return of the Jedi book, there's a quote here. It made sense the computer division was supposed to be developing tools for post-production, but almost no one understood what they were all about. They understood it, but the business side didn't. The computer guys never worked in the summer because that was when they wrote their grants. <laughs> Richard Edland is talking about how George's dream was to fill the screen with thousands of X-Wings and TIE Fighters via the computer. So we could have more freedom to move stuff around, not worry about, you know, Dykstra flexes and blue screens and models and stuff, which again, always George, many, many years ahead. But there's the computer graphics department later went on to do the, the Genesis effect for the Wrath of Khan. And there's a great quote here. When Mark Hamill heard that ILM was working on Star Trek II, he, he protested to Lucas, you traitors, George, how could you do that? To which Lucas replied, it's a business, kid. Lucas turned into Han Solo there for a second. <laughs> Story goes. <laughs> Just got to roll with it, baby. But so the, the games department, though, you'd think, well, here's how they're going to start making Star Wars games. Just in-house, that would seem like a very Lucasfilm thing to do. Keep it tight. Keep it in the company, but they didn't. They licensed out arcade rights to Atari and home video game rights to Parker Brothers, which Parker Brothers was a sister company of Kenner, which they were both owned by General Mills at the time. Parker Brothers had just recently created a video game company to basically catch up with the new trend. And there's an outrageous story in Insider 135, talking about how like Lucasfilm went to go visit Parker Brothers to kind of see 
what their video game studio was all about. Right? Yeah, because this was a brand new studio. It hadn't made anything yet. So Lucasfilm needed to visit to see what they would be investing in. Parker Brothers was still hiring up employees, so their large studio was mostly empty. So it says the marketing department pulled workers from the assembly line, dressed them in white lab coats, instructed them not to speak, and seated them at unpowered computer terminals to fill space. They just put anyone they could find in lab coats and set them in on a desk and hoped no one would notice that they weren't really working. Somehow Lucasfilm figured out that it was a, it wasn't, it wasn't real. It was a gag, but somehow also they still got the gig. Well, I guess give credit to, I guess the team of what Rex Bradford and Sam Kjellman, who were the programmer and designer on those early games that uh, they were able to, convince them that they could make something that that people were going to want to play yeah and kind of because of them we finally got the first official star wars video game 1982's the empire strikes back star wars the empire strikes back a great movie now a great video game a movie which challenged your imagination now a video game where the challenge never ends you saw Luke Skywalker battle the Imperial Walkers. Now bring the battle home. The Force was with Luke Skywalker. Will it be with you? Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back video game for your Atari and Sears video game systems from Butler Brothers. It's just the Battle of Hoth. You're just endlessly shooting at AT-ATs. And it was a massive massive hit because here finally here's like a real star wars game a couple of years after empire came out the empire was still being re-released every year and i don't know rex bradford though he was the game's main designer and i don't feel like his name is brought up enough with kind of being the person that really kind of defined what a, an official star wars game could be and Empire Strikes Back was fun. That was Parker Brothers' first game, and we were trying to figure out how the system worked at the same time we were doing it. And uh, so it was, and I, I didn't know any assembly language when I started that game, so it was like being thrown in to, you know, lead the lead game with a big uh, franchise title. But really, uh, I was just out of school. Uh, I worked a little bit after school, but I was 25 years old, I think. And it was all this just brand new thing, and I was into programming and fell into the right place at the right time of people. I got to take a trip out to Lucasfilm as part of this, which was a pretty uh, fun experience because I, you know, again, I was a devotee of the movies and knew from reading some of the special effects magazines about the guys who were behind that, Ed Campbell, Elder A. Smith, Carpenter, uh, uh, I forget his first name, a few of these guys that were like, they were the gods of computer graphics at this point. And so three quarters of the way getting Empire Strikes Back done, I charged with flying out to San Francisco to show off this work to them for their approval. And that was an intimidating experience to say the least, but they were very kind. And so yeah, your squashed insects look fine. You know, look up to the Star Wars franchise and so forth. Um, 
Well, and it's interesting that the first official game is one of the few games that's not X-Wings versus TIE Fighters, but it is the second like signature video game thing to where every almost every Star Wars game that has ships since then at least has to have the AT-AT Snowspeeder level in it. That's almost neck and neck now with X-Wings versus TIE Fighters in a Star Wars game. That if you have one, you either have one or the other, or you most likely have both. <laughs> gotta have Hoth. You gotta have space shooting TIE Fighters. But I think that was the game that got me to want an Atari 2600. I feel like that might have been the first game. I mean, other than, you know, was it Combat, I think, that came with the 2600 when I got it. Uh, Empire Strikes Back was one of the first games, if not the first game I got. Because I would have gotten my 2600 around 82, 83. Yeah, I feel, I don't remember exactly when we had it, but I know I was really little. I know I was really young because it was a really big deal when we got a 2600. It was like, it was like when we got a VCR for the first time. It was like, this thing's real expensive Mm -hmm. and take really good care of it. I actually remember because I was in, kindergarten or something telling my mom that if we got a 2600 i would never ask for any toy ever again for the rest of my life (laughs) which didn't which didn't really work out (laughs) well it worked for me because we got the 2600 but i i I guess i was lying to her (laughs) because it it wasn't the last thing i ever asked for but the feeling is real i mean it's totally real it makes total sense yeah and then rex bradford returned in 1983 with the game that absolutely ruled my life back then jedi arena you are entering a battlefield of the future the star wars jedi arena becoming a jedi master takes practice using your lightsaber try to penetrate your opponent's defenses but watch out the whirling seeker can attack on its own so follow your instincts ah now you're ready to take on any challenger who dares to oppose you Play the Jedi Arena home video game, alone or head-to-head. The challenge awaits you from Parker Brothers, the ones to beat. I would play the bejesus out of this game. This game was my life. And it wasn't until years and years later where I heard people talking about how it was like one of the worst Star Wars games of all time. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I loved Jedi Arena so much. I'll still stand up for Jedi Arena. But Jedi Arena, it really is special for a couple reasons. I mean, I get I get why people diss on it because it's it's kind of boring. Not much really happens in it. And it's just like a little probe, a little training remote in the middle of the screen. And, you know, it's like breakout or something. You just got to block it so it doesn't break down your force level in front of you. And it's... But I would come up with whole stories in my head, like these is like a good, like a Sith and a good Jedi battling it out against this like training remote or something. But it's kind of special in Star Wars game history for a couple reasons. One, it was the first game ever to kind of have a lightsaber in it, which again now if you're going to do any kind of game like Fallen Order or Force Unleashed. You know, the whole kind of lightsaber combat game. And it was the first Star Wars game that wasn't really based on a particular scene in the movie. Like, there's Luke with the training remote in A New Hope, but 
he's not squaring off against another Jedi exactly. It's kind of like this made-up thing where it's like it's Jedi Arena. It's like where Jedi's would train. I don't know. Am I crazy? Did you did you have Jedi Arena? I did not, but I think it was because I already had Empire Strikes Back and Atari Twenty Six Hundred games were expensive. <laughs> they were, <laughs> and I remember like I would either look in the whatever catalog would come out or like looking on the back of the the box to see what the like the one screenshot you know of another game would be, and I think not seeing it in motion, it just didn't look that exciting to me. I understand that. <laughs> but if I had actually had a chance to play it, I might have been a little more excited. Well, also in 83, there was the uh, the home video version of the, the Star Wars arcade game, the incredible Star Wars arcade game, uh, came out for the 2600, which we did a whole episode on the actual arcade game back in... Uh, Episode number 122, if you want to go check that out in the backlog. Aside from this game's incredible commercial, which is absolutely one of the best video game commercials ever made, yeah, I have no memory of this game ever coming out. Star Wars. It's great in the arcade. Whoa! TIE Fighters! Fireballs! Coming right out of here! Watch the laser towers! Aim for the tops! Making the cannons! Use the force! They're coming too fast! Wait! Wait! My shields are gone! In a galaxy of video games, there is only one Star Wars, the arcade game. Yeah, I have no memory of of the arcade game port or the other Star Wars game on the 2600 Return of the Jedi, the Death Star Battle one. I maybe I remember seeing them when they came out as a kid, but I kind of totally forgot about them until we were doing research for this episode, but I never had it or none of my friends had it. I never remember wanting it. And I don't know what was wrong with me because the return of the Jedi one looks really cool. And the star Wars arcade game one looks really cool. Yeah. I feel like the return of the Jedi game for the Atari 2600, where you fly the Falcon and got to blow up the death star. I feel like it was much, much, much later where it was like, no, that never existed. There was never a Return of the Jedi game for the Atari. I would have known about it. And it's like, wait, no, there was. There was a commercial for it. In a galaxy far, far away, you are needed as a rebel pilot. Become one in the Return of the Jedi Death Star Battle Home video game. Your mission, fly Millennium Falcon through enemy force field while battling TIE interceptors. Ultimately, penetrate and destroy the Death Star before its completion. But beware, the Death Ray can stop you. Time is running out. Save the Rebels. Play Return of the Jedi Death Star Battle from Parker Brothers. If you can stand the pressure. Well, and it came out not like, it wasn't like it came out ten years later. It was like literally a year, the year, year or two after Empire Strikes Back came out, but... Maybe because Return of the Jedi was in theaters at the time, there was just so much other Return of the Jedi stuff going on with the toys and everything that the the games just got lost in the in the excitement. I don't know. Well, and it was, you know, I think this is like late 83 and the whole bubble was bursting. The the whole home video game cartridge thing was starting to fizzle out completely. There was a whole Ewok adventure game that there's, you can see what it would have been like on YouTube that just never got released. And there was like box art 
for a skiff battle over the Sarlacc pit on Tatooine that there's there, there was box art made, but no one knows what the game would have been like. And yeah, you know, that is probably what happened. Cause thinking about that, that when we were kids and got into 2600, it was like right at the end. And by the time there was the big crash, like I had the ET game, which is the one they always joke about that. They made so many ET games. They had to bury them in the desert or whatever. Like I remember playing the ET game a lot. I wonder if it's just everything crashed and, and the Star Wars games were on clearance. And because there were the Star Wars games, people bought them and we probably never saw them in a store because they were just stacks and stacks of E.T. distracting us. <laughs> so technically, maybe there's four Atari 2600 games since E.T. is a Jedi. So we unofficially snuck in another Star Wars game. And most of that game is using the force to get out of wells that you fall into. So that might be even more of a Star Wars game than some of these official Star Wars games. Well, and there was Rares of the Lost Ark too, which, you know, you could say it's all in the same universe. But, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, as things were starting to slow down on the home market in 84, there was the absolutely impossible return the jedi speeder bike arcade game i've watched on youtube getting ready for this episode someone make it to the end of the speeder bike level and it was it was the most shocking thing i ever saw i don't know how that person did it i'm i'm relatively patient and i have not the patience for that game (laughs) so much dying crashing into trees so yeah so parker brothers shuts down uh Atari games go deep discount in stores and the the focus of gaming kind of after that kind of moves to PCs fans again did not waste any time and in 1985 there was the unofficial Death Star Interceptor for the Commodore 64 which guess what that was about X-Wing shooting down TIE fighters it's got a trench run it's got a death star it's got a soundtrack that will give you indigestion the soundtrack sounds like if you asked me to come up with the score to a star wars movie in one hour Yeah, really, this is like, these next couple years are like, there's the video game crash and Star Wars games kind of are like gone underground and they're just really weird and really raw, these next (laughs) couple games. So yeah, 86, it doesn't seem like very much is happening. And then in 1987, weirdly... Maybe for the the saga's 10th anniversary, maybe people were getting excited with that 10th anniversary convention going on in Los Angeles. There was a group of games only released in Spain, which this guy Superhero VG did a whole episode about this on YouTube, and it was incredible. There was a droids game based on everyone's favorite episode, The White Witch, where you fly the White Witch ship. And isn't isn't that droids episode pretty much just based on Greece? Isn't it like the Grease Lightning episode? Because they're just racing that car. <laughs> the Grease, Star Wars Connection. It was so <laughs> strong they had to make a video game based on it. Only in Spain. There was an amazing game called Ewoks and the Dandelion Warriors. Based on everyone's favorite episode of Ewoks, To Save Deej. Which, 
everyone's always still talking about that. <laughs> there was a, like a memory game, like picture puzzle thing where you slide squares around, just called Ewoks Wicket the Ewok. And then there was a droids puzzle game. And these came out for some system called the MSX. The MSX was kind of like the Commodore 64, where it was like a keyboard with the computer built inside of it. It was a partnership between Microsoft and ASCII Corporation. So it was like Microsoft was involved, but it never really came out in the U.S. Like they were really big in in Japan and I guess Spain. (laughs) But they didn't really come out here, even though Microsoft worked on it. It's like Sony made it in in the made the manufactured them for uh, mostly actually most of them. It was one of those things where multiple companies built them, but I think Sony made the most most of them. And the Metal Gear games were originally the original Metal Gear game came out on the MSX. Well, people must have really thought that people were hungry for some droids and Ewoks cartoon games, which. Finding out about these really made me sad because I was thinking about how much, and I know this comes later, but how much I really liked the Willow game on the NES and thinking about the Willow game and if they just made the Willow game, but instead of Willow, you were Wicket and there was like a Wicket game and you went on adventures like with other Ewoks that I'm really sad that we never got a game like that. The magical world of Endor is ripe with game possibilities it's kind of shocking there was no game going back to ewok movie month for battle for endor like there's a game right there for battle for Endor, or even caravan of courage you're on a quest yeah well it's kind of like how the willow game was just a copy of legend of zelda but with willow and they could have just made a copy of the willow game but with wicket and it kind of would make sense because it's warwick davis in both cases so i don't know someday But the big star in 1987 was over in Japan. There was the Japanese version of the the NES, the the Famicom, the infamous game just titled Star Wars by Namco. It's like the George Lucas Super Live Adventure of NES games. It it has it all. It never came out in America. Again, this is another one I didn't even know existed until maybe about five years ago or something. And it really, it it's funny because this game reminds me of, I think, discussions we've had about the comic books and things about how sometimes it's nice when, when everything isn't canon and you're worried about everything being interconnected and making sense. And sometimes you just want to have a standalone thing that can kind of get crazy. This Namco game is that because it's very inspired by Star Wars, but not tied exactly to Star Wars. Go over some of the some of the beauties of this game. First of all, Luke Skywalker has black hair. I don't know what was going on if he was going through like a goth phase or something, but he he's Luke. If you just say it's Luke, it's Luke. He's in a white gi outfit. It's basically Luke. Well, it's almost like it's a little bit of Return of the Jedi. Luke's like, oh, is he gonna go bad? Is he gonna go to the dark side? You get that right from the beginning with the dark hair, Luke. But you also, to go along with that, you get blonde-haired Leia whenever they do the little uh, little story scenes. Because <laughs> I think they could only do one hair, one color at a time. So Luke can swim, which is something we never saw on screen. He's on a planet they made up called Iskalon. That whole part of the game, too, is so crazy to look at now. Because it's basically the beginning of Phantom Menace with the Jedi swimming underwater. 
it's like looking into the future when if you were playing that game in 87. Maybe George Lucas was playing it. You know, he's just like, this is good stuff. I got to make a little note. Put that in the old book. There's a whole story where Obi-Wan Kenobi is stranded or something on the spice mines of Kessel and underneath the ground in Kessel is like Egyptian caves with like mummies and stuff, which we didn't get to that in Solo. I was waiting for them to go underground and get to the mummies. They got to save something for when Solo comes back. (laughs) So it'll be called Solo 2 Many Mummies. I'm ready. Let's do it. Well, the craziest thing, though, with the game is at the end of every level, it's like Super Mario. It's a side-scroller, and there's a lot of it that looks just like Super Mario Brothers. But just like in Super Mario, how like Mario faces Bowser, but sorry, the princess is in another castle. At the end of every level, you face Darth Vader. But it's not quite the same Vader at the end of every level. Like, Vader turns into a scorpion, at one point, underwater, Vader's a shark. There's a Wampa Vader, which is real wild. We got a shark in the Clone Wars cartoon. It's It all goes back to Namco Star Wars in 87. Which I guess the, the, the makers of the game were saying it was, and I really appreciate them getting real deep with it, that it was meant to be like the cave in Empire Strikes Back. And it was Luke confronting his fears. But I've, I like to think of this game, though, as it's maybe it's Luke's dreams, which would make total sense that like, on the, like when we did our time in Star Wars part where we talked about when does Luke sleep? Like maybe if he was like catching a nap on the Falcon, this Namco 1987 Famicom game is what Luke would dream about. Would you be totally cool if that was the thing? <laughs> well, it, it kind of makes sense that that's the case because it starts out very much just a straight star wars game it it's got the crawl it's got the music it's got a a little 8-bit recreation of the opening shot of the movie with the blockade runner running from the star destroyer so you kind of feel like oh this is just that movie star wars that i like so much but then slowly you start to hallucinate into this weird world of luke skywalker's dreams before you know it you're riding a whale across a, uh, an ice planet which again we had whales and rebels, so maybe all the secrets to the future of Star Wars are all hidden in this Namco game from 1987. You want to find out what happens in Mando Season 3? Go get the 87 Namco game. Yeah. You, briefed, you mentioned the music, too. Like the, the score in this game is an absolute masterpiece, too. Like Their version of the Imperial March is number one on the pop charts. As weird as the game is, as bizarre as it is, as legendarily weird as it is, it did really lead the way to the Super Star Wars games. Super Super Star Wars, Super Empire, Super Return of the Jedi on the Super Nintendo, which now are like also impossible, but are Star Wars like classic games. Like it looks like those games almost. Yeah, it was kind of the it's the template for the kind of side-scrolling action-adventure style Star Wars games that are now another type of Star Wars game that we keep getting 
as the years go by. And that's something we, I think we forgot to mention too, that as much as Star Wars and games are interconnected and there's always going to be Star Wars games and there always have been, like tell the beginning, since the beginning of video games, just because it's the Star Wars license doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a particular type of game. Cause just in this first 10 years, like looking at the variety and diversity of types of games that are technically Star Wars games is pretty impressive. Yeah, you got to think there there were only the three movies, and you had space shooters, side-scrolling games. Jedi Arena. Right. <laughs> puzzle games. And even with the you know, shooting X-Wings and TIE Fighters, there's the ones that are kind of what you would call like a first-person game where you're in the cockpit. There's ones where you're going from like a side-scrolling shooting game with ships or the side-scrolling as the characters, like the Namco game. Even on the Atari 2600, the Return of the Jedi game was like a little bit of both. Like you would be fly the Falcon, you know, left and right, and then you'd get to the Death Star, and now it was like you're flying vertically. They just, it very easily could have all just been X-Wing shooting TIE fighters, and even in that kind of narrow spectrum of ships fighting there's been quite a bit of variety it's like we were saying in the beginning it's just a testament to the amount of creativity that was on screen and how much that inspired everyone and the rise of star wars going hand in hand with the rise of video games as we know them today and their symbiotic relationship that they have with each other is still continuing to this day and yeah, just what's possible in the broad concept of a, a Star Wars video game. It's as big as what's possible in stories in the Star Wars universe, really. The sky's the limit. You can go anywhere. Kind of like the movies and the TV shows and the books and the comics and whatever. When they do step outside the bounds and do push what's possible, it makes for a better product in the end. Well, and Star Wars video games are in that same category as, you know, the home video releases that every new format isn't a real format until Star Wars is released on it. And now with video games, when a new video game system comes out, it's kind of like, well, when's the Star Wars game going to come out? When are we going to see what this new hardware can do with a Star Wars game? It's been that way since 1982 when Empire Strikes Back came out on the 2600. It's like there's... The next game system that comes out, what's the Star Wars game going to look like? I know. I thought it when like the PS5 and the new the Xbox thing came out. It's like, well, show me what a Star Wars game is going to look like on that thing. And then I'll start to think about it. Do I need to buy this yet? When's the Star Wars game coming out? So this is only the first 10 years of Star Wars video games. And we, in the future, will be doing the next 10 years, which, like we said, you get the Super Star Wars games. You got... Shells of the Empire. Yeah, the 90s were a good time for Star Wars games, and it'll be fun to, to dig into those sometime in the future. Most 
Sound familiar? Let's check out the action. Now, as Luke Skywalker, your mission is to reach the Death Star and find the tiny exhaust port that's the only spot vulnerable to your proton torpedo. As the play begins, R2-D2 is flying, so all you have to do is blast away at the fighters and avoid the fireballs. Then you take the controls and navigate through the towers and bunkers on the face of the Death Star, looking for the exhaust port. The voice of the flight controller helps you through the game, and you hear other familiar characters from the film. Each time you're hit, you lose one of the shields protecting you. The third and final phase is in the trench, surrounded by gun turrets firing lasers. And like the Force, this Star Wars game will be with you always. So it is time to get caught up on some of the reviews you folks have left for us on Apple Podcasts. Gabe, what is our first review? First review is a total blast of a podcast by the Galactic Podcast. If you are looking for a fun and unique view on the galaxy far, far away, you need to not look further than this podcast. Direct to the point. I love it. Thank you, the Galactic Podcast, and go check out their show. You'll love it. This next one is from Victim of a Crime. Oh, my. And it's titled My Go-To Star Wars Podcast. Blast Points does that amazing thing Star Wars specializes in, taking me away from everyday life to a galaxy far, far away. The great back and forth and constant laughs between Jason and Gabe always brightens my week and inspires me and my brother to start our own Star Wars podcast. Thanks for always helping me celebrate the love. And that's from Joe Greer, co-host of the Chiss Ascendancy Star Wars podcast. So thank you, Joe. Yeah, thank you. And next we have fun and informative from Megan the Pagan. Blast Points is easily one of my favorite podcasts out there. Jason and Gabe bring so much fun and excitement to every wacky corner of the galaxy. Combining snappy editing and well-informed research, I always learn something new. These guys truly get Star Wars. Thank you, Megan the Pagan. Yeah, thank you. And the last one we're reading in this one is The Death Toll is Catastrophic by It's a Trick, Send No Reply. And the review says, We must bow to their wishes. You must contact me. So... It's the truth. Is that one of the best I, Apple podcast reviews we've ever gotten? I don't Did Seal Bibble travel from the movie to leave us a review somehow? I don't know. Now they're going to trace us. They're going to find us. Thank you, everyone. And if you want to leave us a review, just like Seal Bibble, Megan the Pagan, victim of a crime, and the Galactic Podcast did. All you got to do is, if you listen on some sort of Apple something, go over there and write something nice, and we'll read yours, just like we did theirs. We've got a bunch more we got to get to, but we just don't have time to read all of them. We want to. Thank you. 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 Hi, JJ Abrams here. On behalf of the entire cast and crew of Star Wars Episode 7, thank you.
And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. website blastpointspodcast.com where you can search through all the back episodes and if there's something particular you're looking for that is the best place to find them and make sure you are following us on instagram twitter facebook and if you're a facebook user make sure you are signed up to be in the blast point super chill group if you want to support the show in a different way, we've got the Blast Points Army over there on Patreon as we get closer to All Out Mandalorian Madness, where we're going to be doing weekly Mandalorian episodes over there on the Patreon. Later this month, we're going to have a uh, little Mando Season 2 pre-show coming out on the Blast Points Army over there on Patreon, which will basically just be us in silence sweating 45 minutes of hyperventilating in the sound of sweat dripping and dropping onto the ground sign up for the blast points army on patreon to get all that incredible content but that about wraps up episode number 240 here saga year starts up next week and we're diving into the sequel trilogy (laughs) whoa where did the rest of saga year go Yeah, I hope everybody enjoyed the first 10 years of Star Wars video games. And yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye, everybody. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you.